All right, guys, welcome back to Within Tolerance. This is episode 13, and I'm joined with Dylan Jackson once again. And today, we don't have any special guests, but we could talk about this in this week's episode. But next week, we have a very awesome guest. We have Jay Pearson coming on. And I know Dylan and I are both extremely excited for next week. But for now, we're just going to be talking about our two shops. And then next week, we'll have Jay on, and we'll be talking about all sorts of things lean you know his palette systems his products more business related questions so i'm really excited for next week yeah it should be a blast and if anybody else has questions they want to submit for us to ask head over to our instagram and, and comment on our most recent instagram post at within tolerance podcast yeah just either comment or dm us either of the two works and we'll try to compile as many of them as we can so we can ask Jay some interesting questions and we can all kind of learn more about his business and kind of his business model because a lot of people know about him from YouTube and whatnot. So that'll be really interesting. Yeah, definitely. And, and head back too. And if you haven't listened, head back and listen to Dan Rudolph and Adam DeMuth. And we've got a few few good inter- interviews on the channel now. So yeah, head back and, and listen to them all if you haven't caught up. And those have been by far some of the most viewed podcasts. So that's really cool to see that people are enjoying, you know, that third perspective on different aspects of what we do. Yeah, definitely. It, it, seeing the audience grow and, you know, more and more interaction with our Instagram and our accounts, it's it's really cool. It's just, it's great to see what an awesome community the Instant Machinist community is. Yeah, it was funny. I actually, I mentioned this, I think, two weeks ago that I wanted to go back and listen to episode one just to see how like awkward we were and what we were doing. It is so cringy. If you is it really? Back, yeah, don't do it. <laughs> <laughs> like seriously, I was like, we were both so like shy sounding. It was weird. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's 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 strange, especially like I mean, I I, I listen to late night podcasts a lot, and like they're in the same room, so at least it feels more like a normal conversation. Like for us, you know, we're what hundreds of miles apart yeah and uh so it's it takes a little bit of getting used to it. it's like having a phone conversation and knowing somebody's many people are going to be listening in, into it like the entire time yeah i guess it was weird though too because those first couple episodes we didn't really know each other as well yeah yeah well we had been chatting a lot about like fusion and machining specific problems but not really our backstories or anything like that so it's it's been cool to like get you get to know you live on air, but to get to know you as well. So that's that's really cool. Yeah. So if you guys want to re-listen to a cringy episode, do episode one. It's uh, <laughs> it's actually our most viewed one, so that's cool. But yeah, what it's like the only one that's not a hundred percent machining. So like whenever family members ask me about it, I'm like, oh yeah, you can go listen to like one, and you might make through yeah yeah make it through more than half of it like. I was like, I guarantee you the rest of them, you're just going to like tune out real quick like you do when I talk to you normally. Yeah, really. you <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, pretty much. I've noticed a couple family members I've listened in and I just see like all of them are like just started. They never are finished, but you know, yeah, it's all yeah, fun and games. Yeah, for sure. So this past week, what's what's new with you? How has uh, you been, it looks like you've been keeping the Haas busy and. It marked your year birthday of the Haas. So, yeah, how's the last week going? So, let's see. Last, I want to say Monday, so like a week ago, I got that larger order from that one of my, you know, semi-local customers. And 
it was a lot of a couple of repeat parts and then a couple like variations of the original parts and just like really small quantities like four of each and then somewhere like eight each somewhere like 30 each so relatively small quantity stuff but that came through and i kind of mentioned this to you off air but they were like yeah we basically need these by the last week of september or not september let's see october and they're like but we need them you know in time for a four to five week lead time on anodizing and i'm like so that gives me like four days and Luckily, I talked to them, and they don't need them that fast, but there is kind of an emphasis on speed right now. But luckily, today, I just finished up all the aluminum parts. There's a couple Delrin parts in the whole job, but those can wait. So I got pretty much all the aluminum ones done. I scrapped a couple, so I had to order a couple more pieces of material, but uh, that should be here tomorrow, and I'm not too worried about that. So, Awesome. That's great. Yeah, so just got to finish those up. I have to tumble on, which really sucks when you see that call out and you're like, I have to tumble this part that I work so hard on and, you know, just kind of ruin the surface finish. But it does look cool tumbled, but I do like the shiny finish personally. Oh, I'm right there with you. We get parts fairly often that are bead blasted. And, like, not only does it take away the nice finish, but, like, to get a consistent bead blast finish that doesn't look like shit is like a lot of work. Like I, I've, it's taken a few orders of me sitting there, like, you know, banging my head literally against the glass of the bead blaster to be like, you know, I, I really need to start thinking about this in my quoting process and adding it in as a, like an operation because it, it was so easy for me at the beginning to just write it off as like, Oh yeah. And then you bead blast it and, you know, five seconds and then you're done. And it's like, nope, that's not how it is. You got to clean them. You got to bead blast them. You got to clean them again. You got to, you know, you have your media costs, all that stuff. So yeah, I'm right there with you. That, anytime you have to touch a machine finish after it's so nice, it's frustrating. Yeah. Luckily with tumbling, it's pretty much for me, I can just throw them in the little, I have just one of those little 15 pound um, Harbor Freight ones that I throw it in there for like an hour or two. And it, it does a pretty good job and they just want basically a uniform surface finish just i think for before they anodize them because some of these are getting turned black but some of them are also getting like a clear coat and like getting etched so they just kind of want all the tool paths to be more or less blended i gotcha so you could almost like scotch bright them in a uniform direction and they'd probably be happy with it too yeah, I actually did that one time before I even had the tumbler. That's what they told me to do. So it's just easier to tumble them because they're, you know, complex shapes and I don't want to, you know, waste all that time. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, if you can do other things while the parts are tumbling, like that's ideal 100%. Yeah, I just got to be careful because what I do is a lot of these have 172 tapped holes. So... Yeah. I try to find really small like zip ties to put in those holes just to be safe. Um, I don't want like the leading edge of the thread to get screwed up. I don't think it would because the media I use is so big, but I just don't want to risk that. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, like the media breaks down though. Like we have at my day job problems all the time with threads being checked on the floor. Totally fine. They go through deeper, get tumbled, and then because of all the fine media that's like ground up in the bottom of the tumbler, they get rejected in inspection because the go gauge gets hung up on all of this garbage that's left in the threads. Really? Oh yeah, yeah. So it, it, it's 
we try to change out the media and the water more often because of it. And, you know, really have to have somebody just sitting there and blowing out threads. And even then, you know, on tiny threads, stuff still gets stuck down in there occasionally. So, yeah, I, I think that tumbling and filtering tumbling media and like all of deeper in, in and of itself is like such a giant machining pain that so many people have to deal with. And like, it, it's the little things like that that you, you never really think about. Yeah, I remember at my old day job, my first job at the Swiss machine shop, I didn't realize how big of a deal deburring was. I mean, they had a whole department for deburring. Oh, yeah. Yeah, we've got a whole department at my day job, too. And like they, I, 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 when I first started there, they had onboarding where you spent like a couple days in every department. And I ended up spending like a week in deburr because they really needed the help. And I was just like cleaning and blowing off parts and then using their parts washer and and doing a little bit deeper and I just man I give them so much props because I do not have the temperament to de just like sit there and deeper like it, it I feel very fortunate for what I've learned in inspection and deeper at my day job because it makes my parts better but I don't think I could last in a job that was 100% deeper all day every day no I agree I would watch these people then again, granted, I'm standing in front of a couple of Swiss machines, just kind of twiddling my thumbs, watching parts be made and not do much. But still, like watching these people deburr tens of thousands of parts, it's just like, that's just like demoralizing. Oh, yeah. Well, and it's quite a big weight on your shoulders, too. I mean, there's hundreds, if not thousands of dollars of material and man hours sitting right there in front of you and one slip of the knife or something like that. And you have just scrapped, scrapped apart, you know, it's, yeah. it's pretty significant. Uh, the undertaking uh, of doing a debar position correctly. So, yeah, yeah, I mean, it's the last step in the whole process. Right, right. Exactly. I've seen far too many parts scrapped or had to be reworked because of poor deeper or miss deeper or you know there's it's just it's crazy it really is i mean that's there's a reason that so many cnc guys uh mantras is you know deeper as much as you can on the, the machine and it's like because the machine doesn't get tired the machine doesn't miss things like if you chamfer it in cam and you chamfer it in the machine then you know it's not missed unless the tool breaks somehow yeah that's yeah that's the best way to do it yeah i mean it's definitely not doable all the time but it, i definitely try it as much as i can yeah so i gotta get those parts tumbled and so after this conversation i'm definitely putting zip ties in all those tapped holes um so yeah. i gotta probably go get some really tiny ones but yeah i was really bumped because the job overall was going really smooth and the more simple parts because all of these parts are like six op parts and Luckily, they're all pretty much either square or rectangular. So it's just a bunch of, you know, smooth jaw, hard jaw, you know, grabbing onto there's no soft jaws required, but it's just a lot of flipping around. And, you know, it takes more time to blow off the parts and the parallels sometimes than it does to actually run the 30 second, you know, <laughs> center drill, drill and tap cycle. Yeah. But I got to get so oh, what I was saying is the rather simple parts that are just four operations. I just, I don't know what I missed, but picture it's like a 30 or 40 thou wall thickness box, like picture a shoebox shape. Mm -hmm. And it's got a 16th inch hole in the side. And then it's got an 82 degree countersink. And 
long story short, I blew the whole tolerance by not a lot, like a couple thou, because I was just checking with pins. But what was happening was the countersink was actually going too deep, making the hole larger at the bottom. And I was just able to push the pin in just enough that it almost felt like I was breaking a burr, but I was actually just, there's just a little material. Um, so I just had to back off on the countersink like two thou, and then it was perfect. Mm-hmm. Oh, I've had far too many parts like that. Like at least in your case, it sounds like it was your operator error. Whereas like I've had parts dimensioned where they're like, oh yeah, I want to hold plus or minus three on the through hole. And then the countersink size that they give you the math means that the through hole is already oversized, if that makes sense. I think I know what you're saying. Yeah. Like they, they, it just goes back to like people who don't have manufacturing experience designing things and they just like didn't do the math and they're like, yeah, you know, I want a 125 hole with a like 250 thou 100 degree countersink. And it's like, well, unless I have like a, 100 degree countersink that is like tipped off specifically for your size hole, it's going to blow it oversize. I think I kind of get what you're saying. And I think that's what I ran into because this had such a thin wall thickness to it. You drill the hole and then you go to countersink it. And Fusion, if you can picture like a hole with a countersink, there was the actual hole, there wasn't much of a hole left. It was like a 3,000 hole depth wise. Um, if that makes any sense. Yeah, like from the bottom of the countersink to the, the back side of the wall. Yeah, I mean, it was like nothing. Right. And so that's the issue I was running into. It was just, I was just going too deep with the countersink. Yeah, that, that, I hate that kind of stuff. Especially, I mean, I, I, I haven't seen the print for these, but like if your countersink size was a plus or minus 10, that means that you could very easily go that extra three thou and your countersink would be a hundred percent intolerance and your hole would be out. Yeah. I, it takes like like a, it takes like a plus or minus 10 chamfer to like a plus or minus one thou chamfer because you have to hold that depth. Otherwise your through hole is blown. Yeah. Luckily that wasn't the issue here. I had plus or minus five, but yeah. yeah, But even then, I mean, in that case, that means you had to, it's not plus or minus five. It's at least plus or minus three, if not less, because you have to hold that depth so tight to keep that three thou of hole there. Oh, I see what if, you're saying. If, yeah. yeah. So it's, it's that kind of like missed tolerancing that can screw up a perfectly good part sometimes. Yeah. I got, I guess I got a question now that I'm thinking about this. So if I get a call out for, I can't remember, let's just say it's like a 150 deep countersink or something like that. And it's like an 82 degree. So I've always like in manual machining, we were just use the back of our calipers to just get as best we could to eyeball the width of that countersink, like that outer diameter Mm -hmm. is the only other way I can think of is if you like used a ball bearing and a depth mic to verify that. How would you do that? Uh, ball bearing is a good one. Uh, if you have access to an optical comparator, that's a good one. Like we have a USB microscope that came with a, like a calibration card that has okay. a, a cross, a grid that I think is, I think it's 1000 increments. Oh, maybe wow. pretty small. Yeah. It's a 20 by USB microscope or something that like, maybe it was 2000 a- anyway. 
I put that up. I, you know, I, I focus it on the hole, put that up over the hole, and then line up one of the edges with the the uh, lines. Okay. But for the most part, like it, that's a pretty rare instance. Um, usually, the countersink, most of the countersinks that I come across that are like hundred or eighty two, are plus or minus ten lately. Okay. And for that, like it's like, well, you know, if I don't see a giant flat on the end of the tip or if i as long as i accurately define the tool and fusion and, and tell it what size diameter i want to go to it's going to be fine and then i'll just check it with calipers or usually a loop and calipers so i can actually line up those edges pretty well that's smart i like that idea i never thought of that oh man I, I use a loop for so much i've got one just sitting on my desk at work sitting on my desk at the shop they're so cheap and so useful Oh, yeah. I have those everywhere. I never thought, though, to hold it up while you're measuring something, though. Yeah, it takes like, a lot of light because otherwise you start casting shadows with the um, the tips of the, the uh, caliper. But, yeah, I, I think your way with a, a ball bearing also works really well. Like, if you have a unimic, that's even better. Like, a unimic and a ball bearing will work really, really well. Okay. And just do the math. I think there's even calculators online that you can just plug in you know, your ball diameter and your countersink and all that stuff. And it'll just tell you how deep it needs to be. Okay. I was just curious how you would go about it. Yeah. There, I mean, there's an inspection that most of the time there are like a million ways to skin that cat. And it's just like, what's easiest, what's something I can repeat right in front of the machine. Um, like the, the USB microscope is something that I probably will only check one in five or one in 10 parts just because okay. it's like such a pain in the ass and it's so finicky. Um, whereas like the ball and the unimic, it's like, I can, if I really need to, I can do a hundred percent inspection and it, it doesn't slow me down and doesn't take time. Like I don't have to go over to my desk and sit down and, and look at the computer screen and line everything up. It's just like, bam, you know, it's, it's done. Yeah. And it just depends on the, how critical the dimension is. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, very rarely do I see a chamfer that's called out super tight. Um, it's, it's nothing like, you know, Adam was talking about that theoretical intersection point that was within two tenths. It's like, I, I, I never see stuff like that at my shop, at yeah. least not yet. I'm, I'm sure one day something will come up like that, but as of yet, we don't really deal with stuff like that. Yeah. Then you're going to have to put in like a $5,000 NRE to buy a tool to inspect it. <laughs> yeah. Well, we really like, or I really want a good optical comparator. I, I've been looking for one for a while because we've got a absolutely fantastic one at work and i'm really spoiled by it and even even just one that's like half as good with a dro i'd be really happy with um yeah so we'll, we'll see the, the one at work we have like when the guy installed it he you know did the check with a they're like a gauge block stack for checking cmm uh error and checking metrology equipment error and i think he got within two or three tenths across the entire span Jeez. Yeah. So it's it's fantastic. And it's got the whole DRO with the computer so it can calculate radii and skew angles and all kinds of stuff. So what brand is that? I want to say it's QVI. Okay. I think it's a CC14. Q... Okay. Yeah, I think that's that sounds correct to me. Um, yeah, it is. So Certified Comparator Products is the the... the sub brand and it's of a division of qvi 
And okay. uh, yeah, it's, it's man, it's super good. It's got LED lighting instead of like that old um, bulb, bulb lighting that's reflected around. Yeah. So there's like a, I don't know, there's a ring of LEDs that's maybe 10 LEDs around the front for forward illumination, illumination. And then there's a green LED for the back illumination. And so it's like, it's so bright that if you don't use the shields to cover up the bulbs, when you're looking at it, like you'll blind yourself a little bit. Yeah. I know the one at my old, Oh yeah, no, I know the one at my, that Swiss shop. Cause that's all we would check parts on is a comparator. And I, started to fall in love with comparators there because they had like two really nice stare at ones and it's very similar to what you're saying like led lights like they had like a little jog like um it's like almost like an xbox controller that you can move the thing up and down it was all you know like picture like a bridge port with a electronic or like a motorized knee you could raise it up down all that yeah yeah that's um, how ours is too an x and y is all motorized and then the focus z is is manual yeah i mean i was shocked at how quickly you could check a very complicated turned part you know you could check diameters radiuses boom 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 and you could just be signed off on a part very quickly yeah well and there's companies like we were just looking into it the other day there's companies that will make custom um mylar overlays so like if you've got a profile tolerance on something that you can't really inspect some other way, you can have them create a custom Mylar overlay that has your profile band and then you just line up your part in it. And if it's in within those bands, then you know you're good. Okay. So I know there was a machine show a couple years ago I went to. It sounds similar. It was like a comparator. It was so cool. You could like put a part down on this light table. It would take a picture of it. And you could input all your features and tolerances and it would tell you like, it would basically give you a green or a red light if it was good, you know, or if it was bad, what was bad. And you, the guy literally would just take like a handful of parts, dump them on this table. It would all light up green and he would just put them in a bucket, be like, okay, they're all good. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's, I mean, I don't know specifically, but Key Ants makes one of those. Uh, Dan was talking about that when he was on. Those things are insane. Like it's. Yeah. They're so quick. Um, at IMTS, they had one. I think it was a blue light measuring one from Kians hooked up with a robot arm and a Swiss machine. I think it was Sugami, if I remember right. And it would run parts that went down a conveyor. The robot would pick like one in five, show it to the light. It would check, I think, 10 dimensions. And then if it was good, it'd put it in one bucket. If it was bad, it'd throw it out. Yeah, that's crazy. And I think it would comp the machine to make the next part good. Of course. <laughs> yeah, it was really cool. That's crazy. So yeah, you're, getting, you're getting those done. Um, I saw you posted about your uh, ambitious goal. Have you been getting more orders? Yeah, actually, I'm like, I did kind of like forecasting. I made a Google Sheets on like, because I did the, so far, like my year to date sales, my gross sales, and that includes the Lego side of things that includes machining, all of that. And like, I'm very close to hitting a very, you know, well sought after gross sales number for a while. And I'm like, super close because I did forecasting. I'm like, okay, I know the holiday season does this. I know I have this many more conventions. I know you know, this order gone through, boom, boom, boom. And I'm like really close. And I'm just trying to get a couple more 
decent sized jobs in, and then I can just hit that and be extremely happy. Awesome. So hopefully the, uh, the parts I'm working on now, supposedly they're still proto in the prototyping stage. So hopefully maybe after this, within maybe a month or so, they might come back with an actual production order and that might just do it, you know, to send it over the top. That'd be awesome. Yeah. So pushing for that, but I think it's doable. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it seems like you've been getting steadily more and more business, which is great. Yeah. So I'm really excited. Very cool. And then I said it earlier, it's your one year anniversary with the Haas. Yeah. So I think it was yesterday was one year ago when I signed and then I got the machine. Technically the one year would be October 31st, Halloween. I got it on Halloween, um, (laughs) which was kind of a cool treat. Um, (laughs) <laughs> but yeah it's crazy that a year's already gone by from me because there was a lot of like thought before buying this it was like am i making the right decision am i buying the right machine and at one point i remember i was just like i literally had like so many different contracts quotes from companies you know there's a whole nother story that we could talk about some other time about i almost bought a deuce on machine instead of a hoss um like i had money put into it and everything like it was like within like a couple days of going through and i decided to switch um really oh yeah we definitely need to talk about that i'd love to hear what you know made you switch and all that yeah that would be a fun story and so i just remember i had everything laid out and there was a point i was like you know what like there's there's a bunch of things you think about it and one of them was like that I was getting hung up on is like, okay, I buy this machine for talking purposes. It was like $70,000. Like I'm not losing all that money. Sure. I'm going to take a hit for, you know, it's kind of like the taking the car off the lot analogy, but it's not like all of a sudden I get the machine and I'm not going to be able to get any money for it. Like it's going to hold its value. And there was a point and I was just like, all right, screw it. Just let's just go for it, you know, type thing. And so far it's paid off quite a bit so i think i made the right decision yeah for sure one on haas like keeps their resale value like like no other machine tool yeah you know it's it's it it really is insane um i've seen what eight or ten year old hosses that are going for you know insane money yeah 50 percent or 60 percent of new or if not even more Which is crazy because every now and then I'll go on like eBay or some of these machine reselling sites. And a lot of times, especially on eBay, you're not, there's not a lot of Haas mills out there right now. Like they're all getting bought up. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's when the economy is good. It's really hard to find used machine tools. Yeah. But it's kind of cool to see that, you know, that means, like you said, if I could get in eight, 10 years, you know, 50% of my cost back, I would be beyond ecstatic. Oh, totally. That'd be fantastic. Yeah. So yeah, it's been crazy. A year's coming up and yeah, it's, it's crazy. Cause it's, I'm already like in the thought process of like, okay, what's the next machine going to be like? And it's like, wow, that kind of happened quickly. <laughs> but yeah. You know, like I've told people is just going through the process of buying like an official machine like this, you know, not something on eBay or anything, but like an actual machine through a distributor, um, all that stuff, like just that in itself, I learned a lot. And so now 
looking for another machine. I'm not as scared, you know, oh, okay, I got to go through this dealer or whatnot. Like I know the process now. So. Oh, totally. That's great. Yeah. So more what, things to come. What do you, what's your gut feeling for your next machine? Are you looking lathe or five axis or another three or what, what's, I know you've kind of jumped all over the place as far as what you want next. Yeah, it's it's so hard to tell because like I know if I got another three axis, I could definitely get work for it. Like that's not an issue, but it's like, why would I spend that money? Because we talked about this is like you said something that really stood out to me is like it's I can't remember how you said it, but you're like spending money in five axis is the smart way to spend money in the future type thing. And yeah. Yeah. For me not to, you know, I could spend another, let's say $50,000 on like, let's just say a Haas mill of some kind. And it's like, okay, that's great. My capacity, let's say for talking purposes doubled. Okay. But why not wait and save up and get a five axis and kind of get with the program of, you know, the new age type thing. Yeah. Yeah. That's, it, it's a tough decision. I know we were actually just talking this weekend um, about maybe replacing the Kitamura with like another brother for the meantime. Until oh, we can really? Get... Yeah, I don't know how quick or if it'll happen at all, but just, I mean, the Kitamura is getting up there in age and really we'd like something with probing um, and local support. Like, and, and I mean, I've waxed poetically before about how great the Amazon support has been so far. Um, and so just having both of those things, if, you know, as a, another used machine to come in would be really nice. And I think would really help us, especially probing. Like I, I use it so often at work now that it, it just, it, it's so much better than having to, you know, use a hammer and then, you know, what if something shifts or if you're trying to go from raw stock and not have to account for stock variations, things like that. Like, there's just so many things you can do with it. Measuring, recutting. Uh, so that, that's one thing I really want to focus on is trying to get things to improve our process reliability and, and okay. just uh, speed up our setups and, and all of that. So with like some of the parts that you've been running in the past couple weeks, because you've been doing like a lot of one-offs and whatnot, would those be suitable to like a small five axis machine or are they more, I mean, even positional work, but on a five axis? Oh yeah. Yeah. It'd be great. Um, but like, it would be, I think an order of magnitude, different price uh, as far as like getting a used brother versus a, even a new M140, or I guess now it'd be, I, I'd wait until next year and get the M200 or M300. Okay. So we'll, we'll see. Like there's one, I think Resell CNC had it, and it was a brother TC SDNO, which is like the last generation right before the Speedio. And it had a Nikon fourth, fifth, fifth table, spindle probe, tool setter, uh, but I, I haven't asked them yet for a quote, but I mean, you're talking 30 or 40% of a new machine probably. Yeah. So well, I don't know. We'll see. Like we can still get some good money for the Kitamura. It runs great. It's just supports kind of lacking, um, takes up a lot of space with like the pallet changer and the conveyor and everything. 
and parts are getting harder to find. Like you can still find them on eBay. You can still, you, you can actually get parts through Kitamura, but they're just expensive. And really we've been running so many parts so quickly on the, the brother that it would be fantastic to get one with a newer control that can really do some surfacing. Yeah. I mean, what year is the Kitamura? 2001. Okay. Yeah. I mean, that's getting up there. Yeah. And granted, our brother is 2000. Oh, wow. Uh, okay. Yeah. And that's really what hinders it is it's the A0 control, which is their first generation control. So it doesn't have the look ahead to do some really nice, smooth contouring and, you know, 3D machining. Whereas like the Kitamura has look ahead for days. The controller is probably one of my favorite controllers I've ever used as far as a three axis goes. Like the Yaznak control is just so powerful for what it is. I mean, I, I was running a robo drill this week and our brand new deuce on uh, DNM at work. And both of those like have issues chugging through code that our Kitamura never has. Really? And, and like, granted, they both have high speed codes you can turn on and yada, yada, yada. Like I have a high speed card in the Kitamura and we have never turned it on the entire time we've used it. Wow. Yeah. So like that, that control just processes code at mind boggling speeds for 2001. That's crazy to hear that really. Yeah. It, it's shocking and like weird that Yaznak just kind of fell by the wayside because at least in my experience, we've got some I-80 controls at work and I've got the I-80 J300 bastard that's in my machine. It's so well thought out. It's like Fanuc, but with easier menus a little bit and easier setup, I think, and just like some quality of life improvements that I like better. Um, like if you type something in on a Fanuc and you switch between like position and program or position and offsets or something like that. It clears that on a Yaznak, it just stays. So like okay. if you're in the wrong mode and it gives you the warning wrong mode, you just switch modes and then it, you're, it's still there. You don't have to retype it. You don't have to re-input it. It's right there. That's um, nice. Yeah. And it, it's like a little thing, but going between my machine and the machines that work, like every time I'm, I'm in, you know, memory mode and I'm trying to edit something and I forget. And then I hit edit and I deletes everything. I just tried to edit. I'm like, Oh, you gotta be kidding me. Like, come on. No. Yeah. I know that pain too. <laughs> yeah. So I, I don't know. It's, it's weird, but um, we've got a B zero control brother at work. I really like it. It's, it's their controls are really similar from like the absolute early generation to the newest one. They just get progressively faster and have more options and things like that. So I don't know. We'll see. It's nothing's set in stone. Nothing. We, we've done nothing more than just kind of look around what's out there. Yeah. One thing I was going to mention is IMTS is going to be in a less than a year now. I know. I'm That's going to be crazy. Yeah. I'm really excited. Yeah. So I don't know. There's going back to what you were saying about me looking at like five axis and stuff. I was, I keep looking at like the TRT a hundred and it's just like, so expensive to me it's like thirty thousand dollars for the actual rotary then i gotta pay like i want to say close to anywhere from five to eight thousand for all the wiring and all that all the drives and then i'm basically obligated at that point to get probing so that's another five and 
I mean, that's like 40 some thousand. It's like, I could buy another, I could buy a mini mill with that price. Um, but yep. then it just goes back into that thing. It's like, would I rather have two, three axes or one decked out three axes? Yeah. Well, I think, uh, who was it? The guys on machinist therapy hotline, uh, the, I think it was Harry Boomer. He went on live the other night and had Yeti man on and they were talking about how that's like how China has such cheap manufacturing is like rather than invest in like really high end machines, they just buy like an absolute metric ton of uh, three axis mills and they don't care what the cycle time is. They just load them all up next to each other and just have a run all day, every day, forever, you know? No, I mean, it makes sense. Yeah, but I think for you, you've got only you. So it really, it comes down less to like, I I don't know, like personally, when I'm at the shop alone, unless I have really long run times or like even, I don't know, they've got to be five or six minutes at least a piece. It's hard to keep both machines running. Yeah. Especially if you have any kind of in-process checks or, or anything like that, or you have to make any changes it, the other machine catches up to you real quick and then you're, you know, doing either two machines poorly or one sitting while you're working on one. Or I, I would much rather have one machine that can do checking for me or can do more of the work for me and extend that runtime. Um, I, I would love even a fourth axis at this point. Yeah. I mean, I was just looking at some of these parts. I mean, I can send you some pictures, but I mean, six ops is a lot of flipping and you know i can easily hold all the tolerances plus or minus five with you know just a part stop and whatnot but just being able to turn these parts into like a two setup even for some of these just a one op because you could tab them like that's just a huge time saver for me oh yeah yeah like that thin one that i think i remember it had like the step down in it and stuff yeah that's like pretty much a maybe two op but like the second op would just be cleaning up whatever was left from like a key seat cutter. Exactly. So, yeah, it's, it's, I don't know. It, it's definitely becoming an interesting debate in my head and, and clearly here too, of like, where is the smart money? Um, especially when you're a small shop and your funds are so limited. Like there's, there's only so many places you can spend money and it's gotta, I mean, it's, it's gotta, both make you money now and set you up for the future. So, yeah, I mean, thinking about it, it'd be a lot more fun for me, I think, to make these parts on a five axis one because I've never actually done much work with them. I programmed like positional stuff and ran it on like DMG machines and stuff like that. But like to actually sit down and like fully program it and run it, I think that would just it'd be a lot more fun than just flipping a part and running a 30 second cycle six times, you know? Yeah. Oh yeah, totally. And you know, there, another thought was looking at the UMC 500. I talked to my local rep and they said they should have one in their showroom in January. So I'd like to go look at that machine in person. Cause they have a 750 there or it might be a thousand. I don't know. I saw it at the open house, but if I could somehow fit that in a garage, I don't know if it's possible. <laughs> I got tall ceilings. It's just getting it through the door. But like, then the thought is, what if I sold my DM and then took that money 
and put it towards just this one machine and really get a decked out machine. Oh yeah, that'd be cool. That'd be really I cool. I mean, so there's different angles of attack to this. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's the thing is like when when we were looking at selling the kitty, like we would definitely take that money and put it towards whatever new brother or or I mean, I have no idea what one of those you know CNC resellers would give us for it, but I'd at least see what they would and you know see if it made sense um i, I don't know it, it, it's it was just one of those random thoughts while we were running both machines this past weekend i was like well you know this might be smarter money is like get something a little newer something that we can get support for uh all, all of those things yeah i mean and for you i don't i can't remember how big your shop is but a brother i mean you'd have a lot more room i would feel like yeah yeah, and we'd have a lot more room and probably more electrical overhead too. Okay. Um, like the brothers are technically thirty amp machines, but uh, I've heard of people running, you know, two of them on like a forty amp breaker. So, I think really that thirty amps is is pretty worst case scenario of like everything and and really all machines when they're rated for amperage, it's like every single solenoid and everything going max and firing all at once. Yeah. So it would give us quite a bit more room in the shop. It'd give us quite a bit more power overhead. Cause right now we're kind of right up to the ceiling, at least if we go by the max amperage of everything. Um, and the other thing that like, you've got a screw compressor, so we've got a piston compressor oh, and geez. that thing runs all the time because the kitty is an air oil spindle it's way oil um, and it just bleeds air through the spindle, like so much air. Like that there are days that we go, go in and just don't turn on the kitty if we don't have to, because the brother uses such little air. Our compressor never runs in comparison and the whole shop is just so much quieter. Plus the, the kitty has like, it has um, a spindle chiller, which makes a ton of noise. Like there's just a bunch of things in the kitty that make a absolute ton of noise. And so the, the noise pollution is, is much, much less with a brother. It sounds like the kitty is kind of like, not to be rude to the Kitamura, but like old and clunky kind of thing. Yeah, I mean, like the control is real fast. It moves really quick, but like it's just, it's built very differently. It's um, a beast. <laughs> yeah, it, it is. It's a beast, exactly. Like it's not a small, light, little 30 taper. Um, so, but we'll, we'll see. I mean, Brad really wants a 40 taper machine too. Okay. So we're going to look at those two. Um, we're just going to kind of weigh our options and see where we're at. And, um, nothing's in a rush right now. Like the Kittimer is still making great parts, but it's just a thought right now. Yeah. So I we'll see. To- yeah. I was going to ask you. So if you remember on last week's episode with Adam, his mini mill is a grease pack spindle. Mm-hmm. And mine is, so I can't remember what you just said. It's, air oil activated or whatnot yeah um okay so that was like the default i don't think there was any other option is grease packed like the more cheaper version um it's just a different way of lubrication but you can't get as high rpm you have a 15k spindle right i have just 10 oh really yeah oh i'm surprised about that um yeah i mean our, our air oil is like what it is is it's literally purging a oil mist into the spindle bearings every however what your 
your uh, timer on the unit is set to. And so it, it, they can run at higher speeds. They can run at higher speeds longer. Um, they don't heat up as much like grease pack spindles can heat up over time. Okay. Um, I mean, not enough to damage them usually, but, uh, it's just a different way of, of lubrication. Um, a okay. lot of, a lot of machine, not a lot of machines, more machines seem like they're going towards grease pack just because it's less maintenance and, uh, less air and all that. Because, you know, my compressor runs basically nonstop and I had the, I never mentioned this, but you know, that one day my compressor quote died and I had to have the guy come out. Mm-hmm. Um, it was totally fine. It was, uh, for whatever dumb reason, I never checked the, um, the breaker tripped for whatever reason. No and worries. he checked all the amps coming in, all the voltages, everything was fine. It just had to have been some weird, I don't, we don't really know why, but I asked him, I'm like, so this compressor runs literally 24 seven when the machine's on. And he said, no, that's, they're happy when they're running. And I, and that makes sense. But it's like when Adam talked about his machine needing just this tiny little air compressor, I was just like, hold on a minute. Like that would be a really nice, but I don't know if I could get away with that. A grease pack spindle. Um, I think for what you do and air oil is probably better since you run at such high RPMs for such extended periods of time. Okay. Um, it's probably better. And and really from what I've heard, uh, screw compressors like to be run like either a hundred percent of the time or very little, like they don't like 50% duty cycle kind of stuff. Um, and that's why they came out with variable, variable drive, variable something screw compressors where it'll actually like change the speed, I think, so that it runs okay. more often, but at a different speed. So I, I don't think you're hurting it at all by having it run that much. Yeah, that's what he was saying. I was just always wondering, because it's just kind of a burden to have that thing. I mean, the compressor's not loud, but it's not quiet. <laughs> I mean, I, I sometimes... <laughs> yeah, okay. <laughs> sometimes the coolant pump sounds louder than the compressor i mean it's just like i wish machining could be quiet everything but the cut yeah yeah, yeah. I, I i understand um, yeah that's one reason that we have looked pretty heavily at getting a screw compressor and getting rid of our compressor um, yeah it's like really nerve-wracking when you're proving out a program and all of a sudden the compressor kicks on and all I can hear is that and I can't hear my cut at all. And it's like, Oh well, Jesus. Yeah. I hope it's good. <laughs> it, it, like that's just where you like, you know, grin and then bear it and hope that when the coolant turns off and the tool retracts that it's still there and you're like, Oh, it is. Okay, cool. Balls to the wall and just go for it. Yeah. So that's funny. Oh man. Yeah. So, so did you want to talk about our little Instagram thing we were talking about? Oh, yeah, sure. So the idea is, and you guys, our audience will have to give us feedback and see if you guys want to do it. We're thinking that when we get to 500 Instagram followers, which is pretty soon, I think we just are just about to cross 400 today, um, we'll go live on Instagram the same day that we're recording the podcast. And have people go live with us and come on and ask a question live or, you know, chat with us for a couple seconds and just have a bunch of people cycle through and, and kind of 
add a bunch of voices to the podcast for a, a special 500 follower episode. So if you guys want to do that or you guys, you know, want to be a part of that, keep your eye out on Instagram and your ear out on the podcast. And we're thinking that that's what we'll do. And if, if it sounds like a good idea to you guys, definitely reach out. Um, I'll put the question in our Instagram post for this episode and we'll just see what people think. Yeah. And that'll see, let's see, that'll probably be because I bet you we'll get to 500 before because next week we're doing Jay Pearson. Then the following week, we'll probably already be at 500, but we'll probably do it that episode anyway, unless we want to do like a bonus episode. Yeah, we'll just have to play it by ear. So yeah, we got him next week. So maybe it'll be the week of the 7th or the following week, which would be the week of the 14th. Okay. So, well, yeah, we'll play it by ear and kind of see where we, it takes us. Okay, cool. Is there anything else you wanted to talk about or should we wrap it up? No, I, I, I don't know. We had kind of a normal weekend. We had some real quick turn parts again. We've got one customer that pretty much all of their parts are between three and five day turnaround. Oh, geez. And they're willing to pay for it, which is fantastic. <laughs> and um, I mean, it means that I haven't been able to get anything done in the shop that i wanted to like we're yeah. just starting on that gauge tracking program and i haven't had a chance to really implement it um we i have all the stuff now to put on the uh coolant coalescer the coolant uh um, the mist away and it's just been sitting because i haven't had time um i finally just ordered like a whole bunch of tools uh like cutting tools just because i I had a part last week. I guess we didn't talk about it because we had a guest. Um, so I had a part that had like a eighth inch. Man, these were just like the tiniest parts I've probably done in a long time. <laughs> and I had to tab them out. And the, my first thought was like, oh, I'll use the glue and tape method and hold them down and then cut them. And immediately like two or three cuts in, it just ripped this little. I mean, it was like a tiny half inch by half inch by eighth inch piece of stock. And just ripped it off and threw it against the, the enclosure. And I was like, okay, well, not doing that. So I looked at the tool under the microscope and I had chipped one of the flutes. And I was like, oh, well, I'll go back through and kind of look. While I'm here, I'll look at some of my other eighth inch end mills and, and three sixteenths. And, you know, the used ones that I had put away just because I wanted a fresh tool for a part. And, man, like most of them were chipped in some way. Yeah. I was like, oh, man, this is it's like the, the blessing and the curse of having a microscope is now I can see how bad some of our end mills were. So I yeah. went through and bought a few of every size for aluminum cutting that we use. Um, and I'm just going to go through and scrap a whole bunch of end mills and retool up the machines and make sure that everything's, you know, up to par. Makes you question how you got that far with the tools. <laughs> right, right, right. I mean, it, it's like, oh, well, that's why I haven't been able to push that tool harder. Or that's why, you know, this tool path didn't work out or didn't look as good as it could. Or, you know, there's a whole bunch of things that you look back on and you're like, Oh, this is starting to make sense. <laughs> oh yeah. There's always a reason. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, it, it's been a, it was a busy weekend. We knocked out a bunch of parts. Um, but more or less just business as usual, trying to keep up with, uh, pretty much just everything, you know, just keep up with quotes, keep up with, uh, not really marketing, I guess, but like we're going to that first tech event next week, the day after 
second, I think, is when we're going. Um, so I'm excited for that. Kind of see, because it's at at a potential customer, maybe, or okay. at least a place that I had wanted to go for a while to drop a line card, or you know, well, we don't have line cards, but drop a, a business card and or and things like that. So we'll see if it's worth joining the Arizona Tech Council and just kind of go from there. Yeah, it might be worth it. You know, if not, you'll find out pretty quickly. Yeah, yeah, and it was a little busier than it should have been this last weekend because it was my birthday Thursday, so I had a bunch of family stuff all weekend too, and I was like trying to balance the business and that. So, ooh, happy you know late birthday! Thanks. Yeah, that's awesome though. Yeah, that's always one thing is balancing you know, being kind of a one man shop for both of us balancing like family things. It's like, well, I got to do this part for this customer that's like due tomorrow. So like, can we reschedule this? <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, even with, I mean, Brad's like such a big help because he can be there during the day. But even with the both of us, it's it's just, it's tough balancing like being a person and being a shop owner at the same time. Well, yeah, especially with you guys that work normal hour day jobs more or less yeah yeah it, it it gets rough um i was at the shop finishing up some parts last night till about midnight and these were parts that like i thought were a slam dunk home run i was like oh i'll be home by like eight o'clock like it'll yeah, be a right. couple hours, <laughs> couple hours <laughs> in the shop they'll be done no problem and then uh yeah by they the material is kind of an oddball i had never worked with it and the parts were really thin and were just warping all over the place. And, oh, man, it was a nightmare. Um, <laughs> I, I got home at like 1230. And I was like, this is the worst night ever. Uh, hey, you stuck to it, though. Yeah, it, it just it got like real hairy. Like I had three parts to make and I had four parts and my setup part on the last stop didn't look great. And so I was like, oh, I'm not going to use that. And then I ran two parts and then a third one. I have no idea even how it happened, but like the part picked up in my jaws and scrapped it out. And so I oh. had to rerun my setup part and hope and pray that I could fix the error that was on it um, and be able to ship that. And then it, it ended up being fine. But like it was, it was already, I don't know, 1130. And I scrapped that last part. And I was like, you've got to be kidding me. Like, <laughs> of all the things, like I, I had literally, I had been bitching all night to Brad <laughs> over text and just like, this is the worst. I hate this. And then I was like, and of course I scrapped my last part. This is, yep. This the night's not over yet. <laughs> yeah, this, this is my night. So, but yeah. It's like, probably the, the, those nights that you don't text me. <laughs> Yeah, no, it, it's it, it's one of those nights where I don't want to really text anybody. But no, I know <laughs> it's like I I don't want to be here. I don't want to do this. But you know, you got to get it done. So yeah, that's funny. Um, so yeah, um, thanks everybody again for you know listening and and interacting and this is a lot of fun for both of us. We really appreciate everything. Yeah, seriously. So if we could push for some more followers on instagram that would be awesome but i think within you know maybe within a week we could get to 500 i don't know but it's gonna be i'm curious to see what we'll do by the end of the year i think we could get to a thousand yeah that'd be really cool i can't so, i mean that would be absolutely insane like I, I i keep saying it over and over but i never expected like a hundred people to listen to us and i think like you said last 
last time we looked were at like a 400 estimated audience or something like that. Yeah. So it's, it's insane to me that so many people listen to us and uh, yeah, it's just, it's just really cool and really humbling. Yeah. Well, I think from the get go, we kind of knew we had something cool and unique and I'm glad that we, you know, gave it a shot and it's paying off. So yeah, definitely. I think all of the machinist podcasts right now really serve a really unique niche and, and they're from what I've seen so far, none of them really step on each other's toes. Like we all do our thing very differently and I really enjoy them. Like I really enjoy machinist therapy hotline and business of machining and late night. And, uh, it, it's just really cool to hear so many different voices in machining. Well, yeah. And I mean, everybody has their own unique story. You know, you started with a buddy of yours and have X, Y machines. I have this just one machine. Like everyone has their own unique stories and it's cool to kind of watch not only people grow, but like, okay, I have a bunch of parts to make. How do I personally deal with it? Cause I only got one machine. Um, and you know, vice versa. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's, it, it is really just really interesting. Like the, uh, Eddie on the DFX podcast, he just got a, uh, a Neo what's it called a uh daytron so i'm really like interested to hear, start hearing more about that and yeah it's just it's really cool yeah so i'm curious to see where we'll be in the coming months but i think we're gonna end it here if you're okay with that dylan yeah 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 let's end it here and everybody have a good night thanks for listening and we'll uh see you next week all right guys see you next week with jay pearson